back for another episode of the Vader's Wrist podcast, or we call it the Wrist, or we also call it the Wrist Cast. Today we're going to be talking to somebody that we've known for a little bit. Welcome, Trav. Um, yeah, Travis. Thanks, guys. From eighty-three to ninety-nine, or eight, eighty-four to ninety-nine. Yep. And how how you consumed Star Wars in yeah. that gap? Okay, that should be interesting. How old were you? I was five years old when Return of the Jedi was released at the cinemas. In 83. Yep. I uh, still remember uh, my aunt uh, took me to see it. And the main thing I remembered from when I watched it was being frightened to death when uh, Vader's face was revealed at the end of the film. That was <laughs> the only thing I remembered about that from as a childhood. I, that mortified me. Because he looked so injured or because he looked so white? Yeah, he looked white and all the facial scarring. I just remember being frightened to death by his face, by the face reveal. Did you um, have any idea what he might look like? What, did you build it up in your head of, of what he may look like or just the, the, the unknown? And then when you're seeing it, it was like, oh. Yeah, I think it was the unknown, Yeah, basically, from a five-year-old's point of view. Did you see the other movies before you went and saw it? So that's pushing the memory banks. I have a feeling that Return of the Jedi was probably my first exposure to it. Unless I'd seen it on the television growing up or possibly watched it with dad, the funny thing was back then was it was really hard to, during my childhood, you'd always seen Star Wars, but it was rare to watch it. From start to finish? Well, from start to finish. So sometimes it'd be on TV or as a young child, a lot of these movies would come on at 8.30 at night and I'd be in bed. I have a feeling that my... Most exposure to the movies would have definitely been on VHS. Because of the popularity of the movies and the limited copies at the video store for many years, it was like a uh, eureka moment when you were actually at the video store and it was on the shelf available to hire. Growing up as a kid, whenever it was available to get hold of, it was like, holy crap, yes, I can go home and watch Star Wars this weekend. But my, my biggest exposure would definitely have been the toys. So I had uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the original figures growing up as a kid. Not a, not a huge collection of them. Favourite was, uh, and I've still got somewhere, I've got a VHS copy of a, f- a home movie that Dad had recorded of me when I was, I want to say, uh, like maybe six or seven of us unboxing the Y-Wing. And so I owned, owned the original Y-Wing for many years. And then one day in when I was in high school, I come home from school one day and mum had cleaned out my room and had given away or thrown out my entire original Generation 1 Transformers, oh dear. Star oh no. Wars toys, yeah. Lego, because she thought I didn't need toys anymore. Lovely. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good one. So there's probably a nice little collection in landfill somewhere, I'd say, <laughs> as, as many other collections have ended up over the years from parents that did not understand what they were doing at the time. Mm. Yeah, even today there's a lot of kids who haven't watched, when I'm saying, you know, four-year-old, five, before school, but they have all the Lego and they actually they learn about Star Wars through the toys Yep. without having seen the movies yet. Yep. And they know all the characters because I'd have... And even uh, the video games yeah, as well. Yep. Yeah. Because they're much more harmless, you know, as opposed to the small amount of violence that is prevalent in the Star Wars movies. Like some parents might 
follow those PG guidelines or M-rated guidelines to a T and wait till they're a little bit older before they're allowed to watch the movies, but they're allowed to be exposed to the merchandise. Yep. Which is kind of funny in a way. <laughs> I think I may have been exposed to the merchandise before I saw the first movie. I was six when it came out, or when it came out in America, and I must might have been seven when it released in Australia because of what was in the papers and, and things. That's what we saw and... We saw, you know, snippets and clips on TV and on the news and comic books. So you piece it all together in your mind and you recreate these things out in the playground when I was a kid. Yeah. So yeah, it's funny how, how it's like osmosis. You just kind of, you suck it all in without realising. Talking about like our age, or my age and younger to your age. I see, I still have memories of being in uh, primary school and having one of the, there was always those kids at school that had like all of them. Yeah. Yep. Like they had the everything that was available on the shelf they owned. And so every week he would bring in a different piece of his Star Wars collection. So he had the like the original lightsabers that you could get hold of. And you'd never ever saw those things on the shelf. Like yeah, there was, was that, a lot of things that you'd never saw yeah, on the shelf. Was that for show and tell? You'd yeah, show and tell. Yeah, he'd often bring in something, one of his Star Wars collections, and he had motorized ATAT Walker and just stuff that you never got to see. I would, with this one kid at school, would always bring in. It was like, oh, how did you get that? And so, like, well, I've got everything. All right. So, <clears throat> during that time frame, you definitely dove into the toys. Yes. Was there video games or books that took you Star Wars? Like the, uh, the whole point of this is that there's no movies. Yeah. What else did we did you consume during that that time frame leading up to the announcement of Episode One? Well, obviously, there was many years of role play oh, as a yeah. kid. Yeah. Playing, you know who's going to be Darth Vader, who's going to be Luke Skywalker, and making the odd very ridiculous cardboard helmet or um, broomstick lightsabers. There was many years of that. Uh, the neighbourhood whacking each other whacking each other in the neighbourhood with a colourised broomstick. That was and, very popular. And were you Darth Vader? Um, I think we always wanted to be Darth Vader, but you know what's funny is I was pretty much Team Luke for most of my childhood. Everyone wanted to be Luke Skywalker. It wasn't until my later years, into my adult years, of being bitter and angry that I started to turn to the dark side. <laughs> and, and, and next thing you know, I'm costuming as Darth Vader. But, uh, <laughs> and where have you costumed as Darth Vader? Tell us about a trip to the children's hospital. We're going to actually, we're jumping past 1999, yeah, we're, we're but we'll jumping. skip back. Yeah, no, we can get, no, we can get to that later if okay. you like. We'll yeah. go to that to later. With the Star Wars, do you know what's funny is when the toys went off the market, so I, I come from a very small, very, very small town in South Gippsland, Victoria, and it's a small farming community. So they were always behind the eight ball with growth and trends and things like that. That's to put it nicely. I guess for many years after Return of the Jedi, the uh, merchandise stayed on the shelves for quite some time. But even up to, I remember when I was 11 or 12 years old, I was probably, yeah, probably about 11 years old. Went back to Victoria and uh, to see family. And the old country town toy shop was also the gun shop. <laughs> so you walked into this country town toy shop and the whole left-hand side of the store was guns and ammo and hunting and the whole right-hand side of the store were toys yeah. and kids' clothes and toys. Also, back in the 80s, this was normal in yes. Australia. Completely normal. Yeah, because yeah. there was they sold rifles and, and bullets in Kmart back then as well. Correct. Yep. 
And so, and that was always fascinating to go and walk in and look at the guns racked up on the back of the shelves. And there was uh, guns were pretty prevalent. I mean, the, a lot of the laws were still tight back then. They always were. But but I grew up with a, a farming family, so guns were just pretty much a normal. Was it thing. another tool? Yeah, just yeah. another tool. Back in Newcastle, all the merchandise was was gone from the shelves. Like uh, there was a point where it just started to get phased out, and stock levels were dwindling, and and Obviously, new fads were coming along, probably like Thundercats or um, or He Man. Yeah, definitely yep. He Man. Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. Yeah, no, Ninja Turtles was later. Yeah, That's it was a little bit later. Yeah, early and 90s. the Simpsons. Yep. Yeah, because there was a Simpsons merchandise there at one stage. So I remember going back home after not seeing Star Wars on the shelves for um, for so long in Newcastle, and then going back home and walking in, and it was like hallelujah, they still had Star Wars toys on the shelves. And it was like, even back then as a young kid, you knew what you were handling. handling. It's like, you can't buy this stuff anymore. Yep. Uh, but mine knew they were like Admiral Akbar or the Emperor. Or, uh, well, the peg warmers. Yeah. <laughs> like like the ones, you know, it was the, the dregs that no one had bothered to buy, but they were still packaged Star Wars toys on the shelf after all those years. That was always a fond memory of mine, is being, you know, going back to the hometown and going... Oh, I've discovered something really brilliant. <laughs> now let's cross live to Will and his top 10 Star Wars humour. Top 10 ways a Jedi knows he's turning to the dark side. Number 10. Whenever your boss calls you into the office, you kneel and say, What is thy bidding, my master? Number 9. Your old Jedi master tells everyone that you are dead. Number 8. Your favourite pickup line is, hey baby, want to see my lightsaber? Number seven, the company you work for specialises in galactic domination. Number six, whenever someone pisses you off and you give them the evil eye, they start choking and falling over dead. Number five, whenever someone mentions your name in the presence of your old Jedi master, he changes the subject by saying, so, how about that local sports team? Number four, to impress chicks, you blow up their home planet. Number three, Yoda refers to you as that ungrateful bastard. Number two, you refer to Yoda as that scrotum with ears. Number one, when you walk into the cave in Dagobah and you get that hard on. <laughs> What about things like novels and stuff in the early to mid-90s? They started bringing out three Lucas books. There was the Expanded Universe. Did you ever get into that? I tried. There was one that I bought which uh, was a storyline of Luke and apparently it took place directly after Return of the Jedi. Truce at Bakura? I mean, it's so long ago I do not remember. I just remember roughly the time zone uh, or the time in the storyline that it, it was supposedly taking place. But it was the one, it was whatever it was, it was the one where uh, Luke actually, after all his story arc, turns to the dark side. And so I think it's his battle with the dark side. He doesn't necessarily turn, but he starts to get pulled into the dark side. And then this is so many years ago. So who were so the baddies in that one? I do not remember. That's all I remember about it. And I just remember thinking that even back then that it was so out of character Luke that I, I didn't engage in the book actually I think I may have read half of it so I'm sure by the end of the book he, he I'm sure he, you know he comes back to the light but just the concept to my young brain at the time 
of thinking, hang on, why would he just all of a sudden now get pulled back to the... And I'm sure it'd be probably a much more interesting read as an adult, but as a child, I had a lot of trouble engaging it. And because I didn't engage in that particular book, I didn't really try any of the others. It wasn't really something that, that interested me. And even with the comics... I, th- I always believe that true Star Wars only took place in film, that these books weren't written by Lucas, the comics weren't written by Lucas, it wasn't Star Wars. That's the way I looked at it predominantly. I think um, there's a lot of people that address it like that. Yeah, apparently we're called purists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not throwing out any labels. <laughs> uh, but no, there is a lot of people that look at it like that and there is different levels of canon that people will address. So like, there's like... Lucas canon and Lucas is the same like his Star Wars is episodes one to six yep and like after that I think he's quoted saying like Leia and Han they go to their little cabin with the the white picket fence and that's the end of their story yep so for him that's that is what encompasses Star Wars yep but the the EU is it, it was in the 90s it was a there was a definitely a resurgence for the EU I think Lucas seen that and that's how we got the prequels Yes. He'd already he'd always known that he wanted to do them. He had a basic outline, but it wasn't until he'd seen how popular it still was that it, I think it ignited his fire a bit to jump back in and go through. So in the mid-90s with the special editions, did you go and see them at the theatre? Certainly did. What yep. did you think? How did you feel? It was, at the time, it was, it was good. I was able to see these movies that were like these, my childhood icons, in the cinema. So it was an amazing experience. It was refreshing to see them all tidied up. Actually enjoyed the extra content and the extra spin on things. Some of the improved special effects. Correct, yeah. I think the explosion of the Death Star was certainly a lot better than what it was. Yeah, it was a, a greater spectacle. There was also elements that were a little off-putting, like the Jabba scene in, on, yeah. in Tatooine. When his tail gets trod on. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what's interesting about that scene? The guy that animated Jabba the Hutt animated the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. Oh, really? It's a strange, when you look at Jurassic Park, some of it's a bit iffy, but when you think of Jurassic Park, you still think of, oh, it's pretty good. It's very good. But yeah. it could be yeah. the difference. It's like that was nighttime and it was raining. <laughs> <laughs> kind of helped because yeah. the T-Rex. Well, they still use that trick. They still use that trick now. You yeah. know, if they've got, you know, they've only got a certain amount of budget for a special effects scene, we'll make sure that happens in the dark. Exactly. Yeah. There's so much that happens in the dark even now. There's, it's, it's hard to get believable animation in a well in a well lit scenario. Because yeah. that T Rex scene was done in '93, and Jabba the Hutt was done in '97. Yeah. Yeah. Now, because something that I found really interesting reading up about this, it seems that they worked on the special edition and added all this CGI to prove that. ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, could do groundbreaking CGI effects in the prequels. It was a cutting. Uh, it was like a cutting their teeth. Uh, they were they were trying process. to do their Star Wars CGI so that they had the confidence to move on to the sequels because the sequel other uh, the prequels sorry prequels are pretty heavy in CGI. They knew what they wanted to achieve for the prequels. Yeah, yeah, and if they could achieve that with tidying up pre existing. Um, uh, content yeah. mm-hmm. and make a billion dollars in the meantime. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a money maker. It was. The, we we were lining up to see these those uh, re releases multiple times. Yeah. And then it was released on VHS multiple times. DVD. DVD. For the Blu-ray. most part, 
I think for the most part, uh, I, I didn't really have a problem with the re-releases. The, the the most disappointing thing about it was the was the changing the uh, the song at the end of Return of the Jedi. That was like, what the hell is going on here right now? You don't when mean they got rid of Yabna, I was like, oh, what? See, like, my, my mind just went to the uh, Jabba's Palace song. You remember they changed that? Oh, up? that as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love the new song. That's just my age, though. It's, yeah, see, that's and you're right for that age. Like, yeah. so it, it left a, an imp, a good, a positive impression on you. Whereas me, being a little bit older, I'm like, really, guys? Because I, I may not even remember what the original song should be. Oh, because you have never really w- watched the originals that much. No, so I do have the originals on my computer on a hard drive, but even though I was. Oh, I was born in 84, so I grew up with Return of the Jedi. Yep. But it probably was more so the special editions that I watched and that ingrained into my brain, that musical piece. See, that's the thing. Unless you're older than, say, 45 or, like, if you're, like, say, 45 to 50 years old, you you grew up on, on Star Wars. But I'm 42, so I grew up on Return of the Jedi. And most Star Wars fans introduction to star wars is return of the jedi there's so much more happening in it it's kind of like the more kid friendly out of the three yep. and it has a lot more attraction to a, a younger audience and so when you fall in love with return of the jedi what happens is you want to go back and watch the originals and then the older you get the more you realize the originals are the best and then you get a little bit older again and you watch them all more and then you realize actually Empire Strikes Back is the best. <laughs> and the great thing about watching Star Wars over the years is, as I can say say for myself, is that for years, every time I watched Star Wars, there was something new that you noticed. Yep. There was an element that you'd never picked up on before. And a lot of that occurs in Empire Strikes Back. There's things that you just didn't realise that were elemental to the storyline and to the art. And I remember it was probably, so like I said, I'm 42 and it was probably 10 years ago, I was 32 years old, before I realised, oh, Vader, Vader never had any intentions of actually killing Han Solo. He only did that to get Luke's attention via the Force. The penny sunk. I, I just never realised that. I always thought that was just a genuine interrogation scene. That was it. They were just trying to get information out of Han and that's all there was to it until I realised, hang on, he was never interested in what Han had to say because Han says they never even asked me any questions. Yep. And so there's so many things. Uh, that's what I loved about, about Star Wars. There's so many things. There was a depth to those movies that you didn't quite realise were actually that deep especially the philosophical stuff with Yoda. Like there's a lot of links to Buddhism there, a massive amount of stuff like that. It's some really interesting things going on in the background of the idea of the Star Wars universe. And I think I'll probably swing back to that once we get to the prequels as well. That's what we're leading into. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I think that some people either agree or disagree with this one. I, th- I don't think Lucas got the credit that he deserved for the prequels. No. There's 
elements going on in the prequels that he did not get a chance to fulfill because of the backlash that occurred with Jar Jar. He received so much backlash with that character that by the third, or should I say sixth film, to know the third film technically, yeah, the third film. The third episode. The third the, episode. The saga. Of the, of the saga. Yeah. Episode three, we'll say, episode three. That he had to do a heap of rewrite because he could no longer go down the path that he was with the reveal. The thing with Star Wars is uh, what made it so massive was the reveals in the original, in, in um, A New Hope, Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back. So Empire Strikes Back saw us, saw the reveal of their... Well, okay, so the first reveal was in Star Wars was the whole story arc with Obi-Wan. We're told it's old Ben Kenobi and then later on we find out it's actually Obi-Wan Kenobi and he has this huge connection with Darth Vader and the whole Anakin Skywalker thing. And Okay, so that, that was a whole heap of reveal going on in that one. Then you hit Empire Strikes Back and you have the reveal of, of Luke's, of Darth Vader being Luke Skywalker's father. Wow, that blew everyone away. That was a huge element, a huge reveal. Then you go into um, Return of the Jedi, and then it turns out you've got the whole reveal with um, um, Luke and Leia. There's all these deep revealing elements occurring in the movies. So how these were elemental to these movies, these were things that were elemental to the Star Wars films. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Richard. Happy birthday to you. How was Lucas going to up that for these new prequels? How was he going to better or bring in something that was going to blow people away and go, oh, my God, this huge reveal. He was, his plan was Jar Jar Binks. So I'm not too sure if you guys have discussed this with any of your previous podcasts yet, the idea that Jar Jar was the protagonist with, of the Dark Force. Oh, it's something that's been floating around the internet for a while, yeah. When you look at some of the content of people that have diagnosed, uh, diagnosed this uh, idea, there's a lot to back it up. And especially visually, there's a lot of things going on with Jar Jar that is uh, that that backs up this concept that he was uh, the um, the emperor was essentially like his student. What Jar Jar was the master. Jar Jar was the master. I can understand him being used, but there are things going on in the in a Phantom Menace where okay, so. Why was Jar Jar banished from his home? We don't know. No, we don't. No. He was banished. He was apparently a really bad boy. I thought and he was just an idiot. Well, that's what you're supposed to think. There's elements where main, where um, I think Padme and Qui-Gon are having a conversation and Jar Jar's in between them. And he's mouthing. His mouth is moving and he's eyeballing one character then going to the eyeballing the other character and they don't know that they're being manipulated to allow their character arc to go down a certain path. There's a scene where they get into a battle with the uh, droids. You see him where his positioning is in the... Um, uh, it's like they're in an overpass bridge and the droids are down on the ground and the droids are shooting up at them and they're taking cover. And then Jar Jar's in uh, one position 
And then next thing you know, he falls down off camera or on camera in a completely different position. But it would have he, he would have had to have basically essentially like almost used the force to have moved to where he was. And it's confirmed with the droids tracking him off on screen. And when he falls down, there's uh, how he survives the, uh, the fall off the cliff, off the waterfall. There's so many different things. So I haven't watched – I'm not 100% fresh on them. It's been a while since I've watched them. So. It's been a while since I've watched So if I've made any one. mistakes, forgive me. Well, I think the biggest giveaway that he is a, a Sith master is the yellow eyeballs. It's, yeah, so the, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got that going for him. He does have that, yeah, yeah, definitely. His people were ready to, well, essentially execute him. Who gets executed for being clumsy? There's definitely something behind all that. So going back to the fact that Lucas really had to build up a really big reveal, part of that reveal was convincing people that he's a clumsy fool, but putting enough evidence within the show, little details that later on after the reveal is like everyone's like, oh my God, we weren't expecting this. You could see those signs when you go back and watch the series again. And those signs are actually there for you to see pre prior to the fact that he had to completely change the direction of Jar Jar Binks for Revenge of the Sith. So he backed out. He took he backed out to peer pressure of, of the, the sheer backlash from the fandom. And I think that's what broke him, because that's why his heart wasn't in it by the end. He he was done with it. Because he did not get to he did not get to fulfill his original vision. If that was the original vision, then he should have just doubled down and just went, stuff here, I'm going to show you what I've been up to. That's what I thought as well. And then and everyone's like, oh, my God. I think it would be, it would be really interesting to have gotten, rid of the, uh, gotten hold of the, um, the original scripts. Yeah, because in the end, it was Jar Jar who made the motion for Chancellor Palpatine to become... Correct. Yeah. Emergency power. Yep. There's so much going on. I think the whole Jar Jar Sith thing would be a really good episode all on its own. If we do a bit of research and we can get into it and just spit, yeah. Yeah, spitball this whole like Darth Jar Jar thing. Let's do it again. Yeah. 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 All so right. we'll probably yeah. leave that, we'll, what we've just spoke about there, leave that. We'll do that for another, yep. another piece. For sure. And uh, we'll get a bit <laughs> more research and see what other people think about it and we can, we can, we can go into that. Hardcore. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, so we talked about you, you You dive into the toys. Yep. A little bit of novel stuff, but not a great deal. Comic books, didn't really touch them. Nope. You know, video games. Yeah. So what sort of video games were you playing in that time frame, as far as Star Wars is concerned? I basically played them all, whatever was available. I, the, I loved the Star Wars game on the um, Super Nintendo that was a platform Star Wars game. Weren't they horribly hard? Do you remember that? Extremely hard. <laughs> but it was also one of the first platform games I finished. Yep. I stuck with it. Yep. So that was during a time where I owned the um, owned a Super Nintendo but didn't own the game. So quite often on the weekend I'd go to the local VHS video shop and if it was available for hire, I'd hire it. And so um, you were always at the detriment of what was available on the shelf at the local video shop. That was my life. And a lot of people would uh, be able to understand and go, yeah, that's what life was. Oh, yeah, yeah I remember that. It's, uh, it, it just depended on what you could get hold of. I loved that game, especially like shooting all the Jowers on the land speeder in the, in the very first uh, first level of that game was Sounds always like a lot a of terrible fun. terrible game. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fantastic game. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I'm, to- I'm sitting across from a, uh, a Jawa cosplayer, aren't I? <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> I guess, but also the games were limited. I was never huge into the like the Tie Fighter or the X Wing style fighting, like flying games. I've never really you know, been huge into those. Even the new, the new one looks beautiful, but doesn't really interest me. I'm the same. Uh, I haven't touched Squadrons at all. It was the first person. I just struggle with first person games. Yeah. Okay. So if it was a third person out of cockpit experience where yep. you can see the world around the vessel. Or would, something like Mass Effect or... Yeah, all the original, there was a Rogue Squadron video game on Nintendo 64. Yep. Uh, and it was the same, was, it was set back in a third person or third, third ship. For me, that was like a much easier, more pleasant experience than having a first person where you can only see out the cockpit window and you can see everything inside the cockpit. Yep. Well, the Knights, uh, the, what's it, uh, Knights of the Old Republic? Yep. Or, no, but, um, which were the one, old PC ones? Yeah, that's Knights of the Old yeah. Republic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved that game. That was an amazing, amazing game. I played the hell out of that. And what was great about that ga- those games were the, the, the replayability. Obviously, the first time you play through, you'd always play through on the light side. For me, anyway. I guess there's those that got attracted to doing dark side first. But I'd always replay as the dark side character, yep. essentially. A lot of those, they were, they were amazing. There was public... Oh, gosh, it's been so long now time ago yeah it's been i'm starting to forget the names of some of them but I've, I've played them all over the years there was another there was a one first person shooter i think it was the, f- the first first person shooter star wars game dark forces yeah i think that might have been it actually so it was um i've actually i was going to talk about that because it's it's it is one of the the first it led in, it's, it was called the jedi knight yeah games. yeah yeah so it started off with kyle katan and you played uh in a first person view and uh, the, the first level was stealing the Death Star plans. Yeah, right. That's how they jumped into the game. And then the game went on to topical with Mandalorian. It was about Kyle Katarn taking down the um, the Dark Trooper program. Ah, right. So that was very heavy in that game. So you're you're a little bit more recent with that game or its content? Because uh, I do not remember anything. <laughs> yeah. No, I was doing a bit of reading up about it. Gotcha. So, yeah, and I think it's... Unfortunate that even in Mandalorian, well, it would be really cool if they did it, but they didn't have Kyle as being an integral part of the Dark Trooper thing. Yep. So maybe they might, we might get to see that again once, once yep. more when they sort of explain the whole. Because I think it was in Mandalorian, it was they were talking about this is Phase Three of the the ones that we've seen on screen. So there must they must be an evolution there. And if, if they dive back into that, you know, they bring back Kyle Katarn because he's a cool character that goes right through with Luke as far as Jedi stuff. Yep. That'd be really cool. Yeah, because Luke yep. was part of that storyline, I think, wasn't he? Uh, in one of the Jedi Knight games, yeah. Yeah, you, you, definitely do you don't go to play the, as him, but no. he's one of the characters. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely one of the characters. The Aratec Repulsor Company prides itself on well-built speeder bikes. The 74Z speeder bike is known throughout the galaxy for its high speeds and excellent cornering capabilities. The bike measures 11 feet long and can carry one or two passengers and achieve speeds of up to 500 kilometers an hour. In addition to the self-charging battery system, sensors and communication equipment, the 74Z is armed with an AX-20 blaster cannon. 
Aratech Repulsor Company has been manufacturing weapon systems since before 4000 BBY. So they were announced in 93. Yep. Uh, he didn't start writing until 94. What were, your, what were your feelings and thoughts when it was announced and all of a sudden we're going to have this Star Wars event again? A lot of excitement. Yeah, it was really exciting. I followed it pretty closely. There was, um, you know, I had a few friends that I talked to about it. There were some guys at work that we talked about it. It was all, it was very exciting. And I mean, you've got to admit that trailer, that trailer was just hypeville. Yep. It was just like next level. The effects, the the music, the just everything was so exciting. The sounds. The sounds. Just yeah. and then and then, you know, and then that double lightsaber reveal. Yep. Was like, holy shit. Like, wow, what's good? And then we actually watch it. And I was sort of like, I guess you could say 80% excited and then 20% disappointed. Yeah. Probably because of how politically heavy it was, even like I was in my early 20s. So there was something about it that was just not what you're expecting. Yeah. But I also loved it. So I went and saw it at the cinema probably three times. And actually, I, for the most part, quite enjoy it but there were things with i guess with anakin you go back and write the story of darth vader you're gonna really just do a job on the character it's like why are we seeing darth vader as a little child Mm -hmm. but then it's also i guess it is part of the prequels that's the point of the prequels well he he was going to be a little bit older in the first one yeah george slided his age back because he wanted the attachment to his mother yeah, okay. So then that the removing him, the relationship from his mother yep. was an important linchpin because of how it moved forward. Yeah, okay. And he couldn't he, – he made a promise to his mother that he was going to come back yep. and save her and then he, he never made, he never f- fulfilled that pro- promise with her. Yep. So yep. there was a little bit of thought there about why we've seen him at yep. a young age. Yeah, def- definitely. It was uh, – it was – strange to see his transformation because he's this um uh nice guy lovely character like i guess he always thought of the bad guys in films were were always bad or they'll turn from a very young age something happens to their in their child young childhood that leads them down the path that they do or they were just born little psychopaths yeah yeah this was a sweet little kid yeah, Anakin's this sweet little boy and a, a competent Jedi. And then it's sort of like uh, a bit bratty. Yeah, sure. What kid isn't? Then you hit a point where it's like, oh, I, I'm not getting what I want anymore. And oh, I've had some bad dreams. And now all of a sudden I'm bad. It, it just never sat with me. Yeah. I think it, what they portrayed in the episode one worked. It was, and I think they did enough character development in episode two. And then in episode three, it just happened too quick. Yeah, well, it could have been half an hour longer after 
just before and after he turns into Darth Vader. Episode two is basically a love story, um, but we're also going to give you some cool action to tie into all that as well. Uh, and I, I enjoy Attack of the Clones. I, I like it. I think it's I think it's a good, it's a pretty good show. Yeah, anything with clones in it, maybe one rocks. Yeah, and Django. Like so, obviously, I'm a huge. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge Django fan. So love, love that character. Really enjoyed that character, and so which is why I ended up making a um a Jank a, a Fett costume, but um really enjoyed um enjoyed that, and and that's got a lot of the rewatchability for me. Is just that that character, and then it's do you know what's funny thing is is that Revenge of the Sith is actually my <clears throat> my least favorite out of the three. Yeah, and I know I'm probably one of the minorities. A lot of people. It's their favourite out of the three, but it's kind of like the one that I, I, I least enjoy out of the three. And I don't know what it is. I think it's just that the, the, the final turn and of, of Anakin just never really like sat sat with me. So, so that was pretty much our journey there from episode six to episode one because I think it's, a, it's an important part of time there where Star Wars didn't exist in the cinemas, but there was definitely things going on that attributed to episodes one, two, and three getting made eventually. Yeah. And I just want to hear about people's consumption of Star Wars in that time frame. Yeah. Uh, and ha- how it, how they made Star Wars alive for them and their friends, you know, in that, in that time space. Yeah. So I think that was a magical time where we had to create it in our heads. It definitely is. And I think that's kind of where I guess some of the disappointment can come from is because... You sp- we spent so many years filling in those gaps in our heads. Absolutely. <laughs> and then when you get to see from the maker his point of view or of where of how it all started, it's like, well, that's not how I really envisioned it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, George, what are you doing? Yeah, you're ruining Star Wars. And, of course, he got blamed for ruining Star Wars, didn't he? I think he's allowed to. I think it's his. Yeah, like, definitely. I give George way more grace than I do a, a mega corporation that isn't giving it any respect whatsoever. Doesn't matter what they say. They definitely grew on me. Yep. There was, a, it was, it was. A, at first, I loved them, and then I went through a phase where I, I, I wasn't as fussed on them, and then I eventually went back to them and started to really enjoy them. Yep. That's basically where I, I sit with them. But I mean, there were elements of the prequels that were missing that were in the originals. And like uh, some of the things that what I discussed earlier, the reveals. Yep. There was no really great grand reveal of any of them. And I, I honestly think that George backtracked on his original plan. Nothing that was surprising anyway. Like no. We knew that Sidious and Palpatine were the same thing. It yeah. was, that, that wasn't a reveal for us. Nah. But we got to experience that reveal well, through the, the other characters. Yeah, I, I guess anybody who's brand new to it though, depending on when they were born, and how you watch it. Yes, and they watch it from episode one, then them finding out that Sidious and Palpatine are the same person might be the the big, um, I'm your father. I guess that's true. Moment. If you're watching it from that, that chronological order of, of this is episode one to six, then you do get a little bit more of that. Yeah. yeah. Problem is the internet ruins everything for everybody. Oh, yeah. the, the internet's not going away either. No, <laughs> I so try. Like whatever reveal there is is discussed within two weeks of of of, of anything that is released. So it's yep. you know it's like and, and and nearly everybody that 
Well, actually, uh, if, if it's okay if I mention, like, I think what I loved about uh, with you and your son was that you'd, you hadn't talked about Vader. No. You hadn't discussed any of this stuff and he'd had his limited exposure to it so that he actually he experienced, experienced the reveal yeah, yeah. that Darth Vader was Luke's father. Yeah. Whereas I think through, um, through my kids' um, exposure to social media or, or, or videos online, they knew about it well in advance. Yeah. Or just asking questions that I was just happy to answer. No, I definitely held him back. And that's great. And uh, I we, we have yeah he has watched episodes four, five, and six, and uh, then we went back and he'll watch the the prequels a bit later. Which is how you should watch it because that's how we we saw it. That's right. Yeah. There, there is a some people do talk about a machete order, uh, where you can watch it in a certain order where you uh, four, five, um, one, two, three, six. Yes, and you don't even ha- apparently you, you didn't, didn't have, have well you didn't have to watch episode one because. All that was rehashed in episode two, all the important bits. But now that there's things like Solo and The Mandalorian, I think you need to have watched episode one so you know the whole story of Darth Maul. Yeah. Yep. It's unfortunate Darth Maul's role is so tiny, uh, but it's a very important role uh, for that scene. But yeah, the yeah, so you can watch episodes four, five, and then you get the Vader reveal. And then you jump back in time. So it's like, a, it's like a flashback. Then you go back and see Vader's creation. You can start at two. You, you already know who Vader is at that point. You know that it's Anakin. Yeah. So you start at two, you watch three, then you go back and finish so with It's six. a very long flashback. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. So yeah. And they call that machete order. Now, I don't know what, the, what people are recommending now, given all the other stuff. I think that's it. Where does it get the name machete order? Because you cut it up. Cut you up. You oh, it okay. Up. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Vader's Risk Podcast. Special thanks to Travis Van Gaal and William Bischoff. Thank you to Mixkit.co for the intro song and the Aratic Repulsor ad backing track. Written and recorded by Alexandra Magana and RJ Stellino. The outro song, which is playing now, was performed and recorded by Stealing Orchestra, made available through freemusicarchive.org. The podcast interview and all voiceovers and narration was recorded on the Roadcaster Pro. Editing done in Pro Tools. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Vader's Wrist. We're also on Instagram at Vader's Wrist. And follow us on Spotify. Thank you.